Hello, welcome back to the final third. Thank you for downloading this episode. We have a really interesting deep dive for you guys today. We talk about the Eastern Conference in the MLS. We do a huge preview of every single team going alphabetically. It's going to be great. And as always, don't forget to give us a rating and follow us on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. And of course, of course, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Final Third Show. We're posting a lot of questions, getting engaged within the community. And we today we asked the question related to this week's deep dive about the Eastern Conference. What are people's boldest predictions about the Eastern Conference? If you want to be part of those questions, those polls, follow us at Final Third Show. All right, enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to another deep dive episode of The Final Third. We had a great time on the Monday episode uh, hosting Logan from the Stateside Show for some predictions, talking about MLS schedules and so many other fun topics. But today, in the buildup for the MLS season, yes. because it's coming up soon, you know, uh, it's coming up soon. We're going to be talking about the Eastern Conference this week and previewing each of the teams that are going to be competing and trying not to be the worst. Uh, yes. And as always, uh, my name is Jack. I'm a Minnesota United, uh, Chelsea FC, Atalanta, France, and Slovakia fan. So th those are my teams, and I'm joined with AJ. Yeah, and I'm AJ. I support Minnesota United, West Ham United, and the U.S. national teams. Jack, I feel like your list of teams that you support grows every single week. It does uh, seem like that, doesn't it? <laughs> but I, I'm pretty excited to talk about all of this. But before we get to that, I just want to say, follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram, at Final Third Show. I've been doing a really bad job posting on Instagram. I've been doing a lot of focus on Twitter. I need to get better on that. Uh, and as always, give us a rating wherever you listen to us on. Uh, we usually like to you know, give a highlight and showcase the reviews that we get on Apple Podcasts last Last Monday, we did uh, Paul from the Persistent Infringement Podcast. We we showcased his review. We got another five-star review, this time from Logan Stumpf of the Stateside Soccer Show. And he said, Jack and AJ know their stuff. They cover all you need to know in the soccer world. Really love the content they are producing. And they come up with such interesting topics. Each episode must listen. Well done, guys. No, well done to you, Logan, and all the things you guys do at the Stateside Soccer Show. If you guys want to be featured as a five-star reviewee, then leave a five-star review down in Apple Podcasts or Podcast Addict. We'll catch it there, too. It helps a lot. Jack, are you ready for this Eastern Conference review? How excited are you to get into the Eastern Conference? Well, you know, as both, both of us follow the Western Conference a lot more, uh, this one required a lot more research, but yeah. you know I'm I'm excited because I learned a lot more about teams. There's only really two teams I semi follow in the East: Montreal and Chicago, which I will be talking about. Uh, but you know I I'm excited to jump into this one. Yeah, and just to go over how we're gonna do this because there's 14 teams in the East. That's a lot. We split this up uh, half and half between me and Jack, and we're gonna go over some topics that we think are important in terms of previewing these teams number one is reviewing how the 2020 season went next is going over the transfers both their acquisitions and their sales 
Third, we're going over their important players, their MVPs on the team, and some players that might have a breakout season. Next, we're going to ask, what would make their 2021 successful? What is success for them in the 2021 season? Five is major areas of concern, big questions that we have that the team needs to address or at least uh, kind of answer before the season starts. And six, finally, is our prediction where we place them. Admittedly, it's kind of hard to give them, give these teams a specific number in terms of they're going to finish fifth or they're going to finish sixth. So we, for the both of us, we kind of split this into four different tiers. Number one, we have the Eastern Conference front runners. Expect these guys to have the home playoff uh, spots. Uh, playoffs this year, uh, it goes back to the 2019 format where first seed gets the bye to the second round, and then the next uh, six seeds, so seeds two through seven, are the ones that make the playoffs. Uh, and that top tier is the one that you should expect to get the home playoff game challenge for MLS Cup. Next is the solid playoff contenders, people who we expect to at least kind of make a challenge for the playoffs. Uh, they might be right in there. Who knows? Third is on the bubble. These are the teams that are maybe going to make the playoffs, maybe won't be. It's kind of they're on the fence. And four is the outside looking in the teams that we'd be surprised if they are in the playoff picture by the time the season ends. Jack, are you ready for this? Let's get into it. And I believe you have the first team. Uh, yes. So. Why don't you kick it off? Yeah, so we went through this alphabetically, starting with Atlanta United. Yeah, everyone's favorite team. And talking about their 2020 in review, it was a rough year for Atlanta, obviously. Joseph Martinez, their star striker, got injured about, what, three weeks into the season? That's a really big reason why they finished outside the playoff bubble for the first time in their four-year history, getting only 22 points for .96 points per game, and that's 12th out of 14th in the East. And their former coach, uh, Frank DeBoer, got fired after Atlanta lost all three group stage games in the MLS's back tournament, leading to an interim coach to take over. Now, obviously, they want to flip the, the script a little bit, go back to their old winning ways. So they brought in some new players. They're turning on a new leaf. And they've signed many South American players, like Champions League veteran striker Lissandro Lopez. 21-year-old midfielder Santiago Sosa, and 19-year-old defensive midfielder Franco Ibarra. And the biggest transfers out were the likes of Jeff Lorenowitz, an American defender who retired, Franco Escobar, who's on loan to Newell's Old Boys in Argentina, and Eric Remedy, who was traded to the Earthquakes for $500,000 in GAM. Now, though that's all good. You know, they, they brought in some good players, but their biggest acquisition by far was Gabriel, Gabriel Heinze, new coach, previously of Les Sarsfield of the Argentinian League. And he's going to bring back the South American style of soccer that Tata Martino used to win MLS Cup back in 2018. The most important slash breakout players, obviously you have Joseph Martinez. They scored less goals last season as a team than Martinez did by himself in 2019. He's obviously needed. Miles Robinson is a 24-year-old center back. I expect a huge breakout season from him, but he's been solid. He got best 11 last season. I think he's going to build upon that and become even better. Sosa, their new assignee, is going to be huge upgrade at defensive midfield. Look towards him to anchor the midfield, and Ezekiel Barco has struggled. But I want to say this is the year he takes control of the game and matches his output with his skill. So the question is, what would make their 2021 season successful? For me, MLS Cup appearance. They have the players, the manager, and the history to make it back. 
and they have high hopes for a solid, solid rebound. The major areas of concern are obviously whether or not Joseph Martinez can find his scoring touch again. He's coming back from an ACL tear. If he can't find that same output, it's going to be hard. Two is their center back depth. I think they need to improve their center back depth in order to really challenge once we get to the hard summer with the Gold Cup starting. And three, and probably biggest, whether or not Heinze can get his system going. He likes his teams to be press first, ask questions later. Unlike Frank DeBoer's more defensive, conservative approach, Heinz will be playing the press with high tempo possession. But my prediction is I have them firmly in the top tier Eastern Conference contenders. I mean, Jack, what do you think about Atlanta? What do you think about what I just said? Yeah, well, I agree with a lot of what you said, but at the same time, I don't I'm not sure if I rate their chances as high as you do, just because I still have them in the first tier. If I had to pick a place for them, I picked third if I had to pick a place. Uh, But the questions that I really have are like, where's the defensive depth? Like, as you said, Miles Robinson, very good center back, had a great season. But they don't have as much depth as a lot of other teams. And then uh, additionally, as you said, can Joseph Martinez get back to his very best? Like, he's coming off of a very long-term injury, a nasty injury. And if he can't get back to his best, I feel like Atlanta United won't be back to their best. And if he gets injured again, I don't really see them being able to cope with that loss. So I think a lot of the success hinges on him. And because of that, I, I, I couldn't put them firmly in the top okay. tier. But I, I, put them, I put them kind of like getting into there. They could drop down to... Like, you know, that second tier, but I think they they have enough to get into the first tier. All right. Well, I'll have you know, I actually had them first in the East. Wow. Okay. I had them. I had them as the favorites to be the the first seed potentially challenged for the supporter shield. I understand that their depth in the defense isn't that great. They're going to be relying as of right now on George Bello in the left back position, left center back. Who knows who's going to take that? You have a a dinosaur in goal with Brad Gazan. And it, it, it could get kind of iffy, but at the same time, I, I just feel like I believe in them. So I'm going to leave it at that. Jack, we're moving on to another team that has a new look, not in terms of just a manager, even though they do have a new manager, but also their branding. Let's take it to Club de Foot, Montreal, moving. Well, actually, we're moving south because they're going to be spending their time in Florida to start off right. the season. So take it away, Jack. Yeah, well, for this one, I've got my old Impact shirt on. It's not current anymore, but, you know, uh, 2020 season review for Club de Foot Montreal. Uh, For a team that was rebuilding, 2020 was a decent enough year. They ended a playoff drought, although they did get bounced by the Revs, and by finishing ninth place overall, but with the worst defensive record in the East, shipping almost two goals per game. So that season was definitely something to build off of, or so it seemed. Uh, because Thierry Henry ended up leaving. So that takes me to major player acquisitions and sales. You know, the big talk is about Thierry Henry leaving as manager, with Wilfred Nancy taking over. However, in terms of players, they have made a few good acquisitions, uh, with Jordi Mihalovic, the headliner of it all, you know, uh, a good creative midfielder from Chicago who can also play on the wing. And... And they also uh, brought in Eric Hurtado as a forward option from Sporting Kansas City and signed another defender in Aljaz Struna from Houston. 
However, as part of that deal, though, they traded away Maximiliano Uriti, who was honestly one of their bigger goal-scoring threats. They also declined contract options for three other attack-minded players in Anthony Jackson-Hamill, Bohan, and Shemit Shom. Plus, they lost a really good defensive option in Yuka Raitala, who went to Minnesota United. Mm-hmm. But in terms of most important players, their most important players, uh, there's three. First is Samuel Piet. He's one of the very few players who played in every game for Montreal last season. And there's a good reason for that. He's a quality defensive mid. He can be a threat going forward with good passes forward. Even though he hasn't played yet, I also think Mihalovic is going to be a sure. big player for them. You know, he has the potential to actually provide the service a lot of Montreal forwards would need to score more. And finally, uh, Romel Kyoto, uh, I think is how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. He was in the form of his career in, in his first season. He finished as the club's top scorer and scored every other game with 12 goals or uh, sorry, 11 goals in the season. If he gets more regular service, which could be the case with Mihalovic, he could be a massive goal scoring threat which is exactly what Montreal have needed since Piatti left them two years ago now. Uh, but major areas of concern, the weak point for them is, is defending. They, they lost Yuka Raitala, solid left back, solid fullback option, and they haven't really brought in many new defenders outside of uh, Stru- uh, Struna. They really need defenders if they want to challenge for the playoffs. Maybe, uh, like, you know, they... They need a DP caliber defender, honestly, who can organize this back line. Sure. But what would make this 2021 successful? The big thing would be making the playoffs for them or winning the Canadian championship. Those would both be nice. Right. Unrealistic. But uh, because they're in a period of rebuilding once again, they've had four head coaches in the past one and a half years, which means their idea for success has changed a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also think a positive goal differential would be honestly a really good (laughs) metric of success. Sure. Because they haven't achieved that since 2015, when Ignacio Piatti and Didier Drogba were up front scoring 12 goals each. Ultimately, I, I put them in the third tier, just outside of the playoffs. Although, I, I put them in around 10th in the East. I think Mihalovic was a really positive step, so we'll see if it pays off. They might barely sneak into the playoffs, but it's unlikely, I think. Yeah, I, I'm going to go ahead and say that I had them on the bottom tier. And that's fair. That's kind fair. of see it. kind of on the edge. I haven't been paying to Montreal. Montreal is one of the teams I'm like, I'm kind of confused on because there's so much that we haven't seen yet from Wilfred Nancy. There's still so many players that they brought in that are, you know, relatively good. I'm a big fan of Mihalovic before the Olympics, uh, Hurtado, Johnson that they brought in. But you know, the question, Jack, that I have for you is, do you think Wilfred Nancy can control these players, like bring the most out of these players? As someone who I don't think have has had a head coaching job before the same way that Thierry Henry did last year. Well, you're right. He he doesn't have any head coaching experience. But one thing is he has been with Montreal since pretty much his playoff, his playing career ended in 2005. Right. He was in charge of their uh, I think it was under 18s or under 21s. And he was he's been their assistant manager since 2016. So it's not like he ha- he doesn't have experience with this group of players. So I, I think that will benefit him a lot. He He's not going to be as experienced, and I think it could hurt them. That's why I have them like towards the bottom of my third tier, just because I, I don't know. I, I feel like they could do well, but a lot of it, a lot of it depends on if everything goes right, which is unlikely. So 
Yeah, all right. Well, we talked about Mihalovich moving from Chicago to Montreal. Let's go to Chicago right now. Jack, uh, you also took Chicago Fire. You also low-key follow Chicago, so why don't you yeah. take this one? So, uh, yeah, 2020 season review. Uh, as is the usual for the Fire, they the words to sum it up are close but no cigar. Yes. They finished 11th in the East with the third worst defensive record in the division, conceding 39 in 23 games. They returned to Soldier Field, which uh, was, you know, positive. They had some great signings, but it was overshadowed by a controversial, to, to be polite, honestly, rebrand that got rid of the iconic huh. fire crest. They lost three key players in Bastian Schweinsteiger, Nemanja Nikolic, Nicholas Gaetan, and actually, I counted wrong, four, and Alexander Katai. Uh, before this season, they didn't make the playoffs, and although their star forward Robert Barich was joint second for the Golden Boot at 12 goals, so that that was a really positive thing. But major player acquisitions or sales or transfers, the big loss is Jordi Mihalovic. The young creative midfielder was great for the Fire, but now he's on to Montreal. They also declined the option for CJ Sapon, who went off to Nashville. They did okay with acquisitions up front, if you count everything in December. Uh, they brought in Stanislav Ivanov on the wing and midfielder John Espinosa, although they have a signing for the future in winner John Duran, who can't join until 2022. Uh, they really haven't done that much in the transfer market, and it doesn't look like they're going to do much more. So uh, I'm not really sure what their plan is, but I'll talk about that later. Uh, their most important players, the first name that comes to mind is Robert Barich. He's in his prime. He's uh, 29 and average to goal every other game for the Fire. If he's up for it, the Fire can be a threat. I'll also go and say that Alvaro Medran will be important in defensive midfield, as he was a decent assist provider. I think he chipped in five over the course of the campaign, uh, and could help out their center backs when in trouble, and they seem to be in trouble a lot. Uh, and then finally, Gaston Jimenez was great for the Fire as well, so he could be a shout for a very important player too. But the big area of concern is creativity. Who takes over from Mihalovic? There's not really a clear answer, and they don't really have anyone coming in who can provide that. Uh, without that question answered, where does the service for Barrich come from? Because Mihalovic provided seven assists. Mm -hmm. And given their defensive woes last year, it's surprising they didn't sign a single defender. Uh, Francisco Calvo is still there, as uh, AJ and I know him pretty well, yes. uh, partnered by Maurizio Pineda. But it's just shocking they didn't sign anyone else who could who could potentially fill in if need be from those two. But what would make this 2021 successful? Making the playoffs for once. Uh, the last few seasons for Chicago, in fact, the last three, have been getting within one place of the playoffs. If they can make it ending a three-year drought, that will be success in and of itself. But ultimately, I don't think they're going to do that. My, my prediction for them, I put them in the bottom tier, just on the edge, the very top of the bottom tier. Okay. Uh, I, I put them 12th in the East. If Barrage performs to the ability we know he has, though, the fire could finish inside the playoffs, potentially. Unlikely again, but possible. Yes. I... I'll be honest, I had them in the bottom tier as well. I think it's just crazy that they didn't bring many players right. in, especially in the past couple of months when you have more players transferring in once, you know, COVID financials got figured out, once the once the CBA got figured out, like still radio silence is crazy. Jack, I had them as 14th place. I had them last. 
Honestly, um, that's fair. Do, do you think that's fair? Do you think they might be wooden spoon contenders, just completely last place in the league? Because I, I think, think so. I think they could. I think the one thing that saves them, honestly, is Barrich. I think okay. he's, a, he's probably in a shout for one of the top strikers in the league right now. And because of that, that's the only reason I have them any higher. All right. <laughs> but but I, I just see this, and I'm like, the, this is a team where if something falls apart and some player gets injured or some player is like seriously underperforming, I look at their depth and I'm like, I don't know if I trust anyone else to play and actually perform for them. I don't know, it, it's very, very tough. That's Chicago Fire. I have, do you have anything else to add about them? No, I, I, think, I think you're honestly pretty fair. And it, it might be just the fact that I like Chicago blinding yeah. me from putting them in dead last. All right, so let's move on to a team that wasn't terrible last year. It was actually really, really good. We got the Columbus Crew, and I'll take this one. They're 2020 in review. Let's just say it was decent. To say, oh, yeah. Decent yeah. to say the least. They were favorites to win the MLS's back tournament, crashed out of that, but achieved a respectable third in the East. And, of course, beat the Seattle Sounders to win MLS Cup, their second title in their history. A huge season during a very difficult season. So to, to, to get a really nice piece of silverware out of that, just to win the league, it brings a lot of hope and expectations going into 2021. And going into 2021, their major sales and acquisitions, looking at those, they just got better. They brought in veteran striker Bradley Wright Phillips and a winger that we know really well, Kevin Molino from Minnesota, both as free agents, completely like no transfer fee. Also brought on Alexandru Matan, a Romanian 21-year-old attacking midfielder, an exciting, energetic signing. They didn't really get rid of anyone important, meaning they basically just boosted their squad going into 2021. Their most important breakout slash breakout players obviously have to look towards Darlington Nagby, who's one of the best midfielders of, in the league. Eloy Room, who for my money is one of the best goalkeepers in the league last year. I don't know how much he's going to build off that performance but you know if he can that's huge for them kevin molino who i think you know he had a pretty good season this year and i think he's going to continue their form i it, this might be cheating but i have the him as their breakout player just because you know he was the comeback player of the year finalist last year i think he just comes in and he just tears it up even more than he did for minnesota and of course you can't talk about columbus without talking about their star player, Lucas Zellerayon, their number 10, their most important player, MLS Cup MVP, MLS Newcomer of the Year, a creative force to be reckoned with. He's just going to wreak havoc on MLS defenders this year. He was injured a little bit last year, but I could just see him just becoming the most feared number 10 in the league for, you know, the last couple of years. So what would make this 2021 successful? Well, the MLS Cup repeat and or the CONCACAF Champions League. Columbus strengthened their squad so that they can make a run in the CCL. Caleb Porter even said that that's what they're looking to do. They want to be able to bring the MLS into the CONCACAF Champions League conversation once again. Success means making a deep run in both the league and the Champions League. It's really important to them that they build off this really successful season. And can they do it? I mean, that's the major area of concern is can they handle the stress of a very congested season? They have a lot of depth, but we've seen how the CONCACAF Champions League can tear through squad depth. 
Look at Kansas City in 2019, Toronto in 2018. Prioritizing the Champions League means sacrificing player health, which means struggling in the league. This might be a hot take. I have them in the first tier, but I have them as fourth. I think they're going to be very good. I think they are in conversation for MLS Cup, but I think that they're going to drop some points here or there once we get deep into the Champions League season. Jack, am I speaking absolute cap right now, or am I speaking facts? Uh, well, you see, uh, I have them as first. I think they're going to win the East. Okay. They literally only got better. They, they have not gotten any worse. They've brought in some of the best players uh, from last season. And, you know, uh, you, also, you mentioned all of these players, and I'm shocked you didn't mention Jossi Zardes as well, because, yeah, you know, he, he's a solid player who scored a ton of goals for Columbus. And also, Kevin Molino played really well last season because of Reynoso. Zellerayon is at the same level, if not better than Reynoso. And How I think he's going to, I know I'm, I'm betraying, <laughs> I'm betraying him a little bit, but it, it's true. And I, I think that he could play some good one, two passes off him. And I think they could tear it apart in the East. And uh, I mean, the big thing is, do they have what it takes to make this team click? Because they brought in a ton of players while they kept a lot of the core a lot of these players still, they need to integrate them. And I don't, I don't know how, how well it'll go. And also the depth, while they brought in a lot of depth, do they have enough to compete in all of these competitions? Right. Potentially, but I, I'm, I'm not super convinced yet because, as you said, it's a tough competition to go like, far in at all, and it can take a big toll. So we'll, we'll see about that, but... Uh, I I have them for a very strong season. I have them for a strong one. All right. Well, we talk about having enough squad depth and having troubles integrating. Another team that might have trouble with that because they have a new manager is DC United. Jack, take it away from the team from the district. Yeah, so their 2020 season review, uh, the word to sum it up is disappointment. They finished 13th in the East on 21 points. They had the second worst defense in the East, shipping 41 goals over 23 games. It's so clear they were struggling to replace Wayne Rooney and Lucho Acosta, who carried them throughout 2018 to 2019. Like, he's why they did so well in, in, uh, and got into fifth place, I believe, in the East. Uh, their major player acquisitions and sales, there's only one major player, I'd say, uh, DC United have brought in thus far, and it's Nigel Robertha a forward who scored 20 goals in 39 games in the Bulgarian League. They also brought in forward uh, Giovanni Bolivar on loan. They also have a new head coach in Hernan Lozada. Um, and as far as major sales, I guess defender O'Neill Fisher is the only one they lost. And they will be without Paul Ariola until June 30th at least, while he's on loan at Swansea City. Uh, their most important players. I, I think their most important players are going to be Edinson Flores and Julian Gressel uh, and Ola Kamara, I also said. Uh, if those mm-hmm. three can click together, then this team will score goals. At the other end, you have uh, Bill Hamid, who's usually a very solid goalkeeper. He kept the DC uh, team in a lot of games last season and prevented that, their defense from being a lot leakier. And hopefully he'll be able to fix up any issues from last season. However, uh, they do have some major areas of concern, and the big one is the defense. Steve Birnbaum, who's usually their starter, uh, starting center back, is going to be out for a few months with some injuries, 
and Frederick Brillant uh, is turning 36 this June. Uh, that center back pairing is getting up in age, and it's not, and there's not really any clear players who you see taking their place in the squad. That defense is looking a lot more like a liability than a strength, so it has to be an area DC needed to improve, and I'm not sure they really did. The, these new attacking options haven't really meant a lot if the defense is going to be struggling. Right. But what would make their 2021 successful? It's plain and simple, making it back into the playoffs. After such a drop-off between 2019 and 2020, they need to improve. Uh, unfortunately for them, I don't really see that happening for them this season. Sure. Their attack is solid, but the defense is just not. Uh, I'll say they improve marginally, though. And I, I originally had uh, them in the bottom tier, but I moved them up to the third tier. Uh, I, think, I think they could finish anywhere in there, but I, I, I just went ahead and said 11th just because that defense just does not convince me at all. Uh, this team hasn't replaced Wayne Rooney or Lucho Acosta in any meaningful way, really. Uh, that partnership is what made them click. So I, I think, I think Roberta could pop off. He could do really well, but sure. I, I'm, I'm going to say around 11th, honestly, marginal improvement. But give, give a, a Losada one season to, uh, and I think they could be backup challenging for the playoffs. All right, cool. I do want to ask you about that. I had them as 10th. Very close to you. It's a solidly in the third tier. My question for you is Ben Olsen, their old mm-hmm. manager, was there for what, 10 years since like right. 2010. He was one of the most long standing managers in MLS. His identity with the team was ingrained in the club's identity. Do you think Losada, when he's bringing on his like his madness, his new tactics, do you think that there's going to be a large learning curve? And do you think it's going to take an entire season just like rebuild this team in Lasada's image? Oh, honestly, absolutely. Honestly, okay. I, I think that it's going to be tough. Uh, they've been with this system for so long. Uh, the Ben, uh, the the Olsen system uh, for them, it it provided a lot of success. I mean, relatively, they, they didn't, yeah. relatively, they got an relatively. Open cup. That's cool, I guess. Yeah, they 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 performed decently well, average enough to get into the playoffs most seasons. So. It, but you're right. A lot of these players who have been there a long time, it's going to take time. And I think it could take an entire season, especially since, like, you know, the, he hasn't really brought in anyone to kind of enforce his sort of playing identity. Right. I think that's going to be very interesting. Another team that I'm very interested in is number six when we go alphabetically, and that's FC Cincinnati. Their 2020 year in review not much to say other than a dumpster fire. <laughs> I mean, t- it's true that to be honest, like they were wooden spoon winners, 16 measly points. They were terrible until so they want to write the ship. Their new acquisition, such major sales. They open up their wallets when the season uh, transfer window began. They got Brenner, a 21 year old striker from Sao Paulo for 13 million dollars and mil- midfielder Lucho Costa, who bossed it up for DC United a while back. And left back Ronald Matarita from NYCFC for $600,000 in GAM. There's also rumors of two more signings occurring sometime this week. I have to believe that uh, they are defenders is what I'm seeing from like reporters. Uh, but their most important slash breakout players, obviously, we got to go with their most expensive club signing so far. And it's Brenner. They scored a league low 12 goals last year. That's pathetic. That is absolutely pathetic. Next lowest was 23. They need a strong striker who can score and bag goals. Another one is Frankie Amaya. 
If he stays, he can be pivotal for the midfield and have a true breakout season for the Cincinnati side. He's been very good, but there's no real season I've seen the past two seasons where he's really shined and been the guy for Cincinnati. I think this could be it. And of course, Acosta, he's been a really good attacking midfielder in the past, and I think he'll be able to create a lot going forward. Major areas of concern, I said this, I mentioned this, defense. They need some true center back and full back cover. Preferably a starter quality center back because I'm not convinced of a pairing of, you know, what, Peterson and Van Der Werf. I don't think they can really reduce the 36 goals that they let in last season. Defensive quality and depth is going to be the thing that holds back this team if they don't figure it out. So what would make this 2021 season successful for them? Not be in last place. That's literally it. Cincinnati have been historically bad. Historically bad. They brought in some really good pieces I'm going to be really excited to see. But I'm serious. It doesn't even have to be playoffs. They don't have to get playoffs. Cincinnati just needs to prove that they're for real. Not just bottom feeders, but a team that can compete. Maybe they get some errant win against LAFC or Atlanta United. I think they could do it if they just get some defensive cover to really round out that team. They have some really good attacking pieces. Their front five is really exciting, but that is where I have them placing. If, if they get their defense, I have them still in the bottom tier, if I'm being honest. They're 11th place for me. Jack, is, is this wrong? Should I be rating FC Cincinnati more? Like, What do you think about this side? Honestly, I, I have them in the bottom tier as well. I, I have them not in last, though. I will say that. My, okay. uh, I, I don't think they'll get last. They did some good acquisitions. Uh, but like you said, they, I'm not sure if they've done enough in the defensive end of the field. And the other thing is, they, these are big-name signings. Will Brenner and Acosta settle well? I mean, Acosta's played in the MLS before. Yeah. But most importantly, will they work well together? Because, you know, you could have... Like, I, I'm a Chelsea fan, so I'm well aware of huh. having bringing in expensive players who are, like, great by themselves, but then when they try and work together, they just don't work out. If, if they sign a defender, I could probably give them third tier, if I'm being honest. But it, until I see that, uh, it, it's got to be bottom tier, but just not dead last. All right. I, oh, I didn't have them dead last, too. I had them as 11th. Right, and right. We'll see what happens there. We'll also see what happens... And another team I'm very curious about, that's Inter-Miami. I'll be taking this one because everyone knows how much I love Inter-Miami. Honestly, I think I've tweeted about them so much. I've talked about them so much on this show that I've kind of started, like, ironically liking them. And now I'm kind of in that border between, like, I'm kind of unironically liking them. That's very dangerous. I don't want to actually like Inter-Miami. Because when you look at their 2020 preview, review uh, with their inaugural season last year, they made the playoffs last year. Kind of, kind of. They were literally 10th out of 14th place in the East and made it in as last seed. And this was a team that couldn't create, couldn't defend, and played ultra-conservatively, which is weird given the personnel that they, were, that they had. They could have attacked, but oh, the manager, Alonso, just didn't want any of that. So they brought in some new players in major sales because it's a new year, new Miami. Most importantly, new acquisition, their coach, Phil Neville, which is someone we have opinions on. It could be good. It could be bad. I'd like to believe that it's not going to go well. But, but, they also have signed famed, very, very good Seattle Sounders sporting director, Chris Henderson, to help them. So it might be turning around because they have someone to, to lead the ship the right way. They brought in veterans Ryan Shawcross from Stoke, 
Calvin Leadham from Sounders FC, Kieran Gibbs from West Brom, and 27-year-old defensive mid mid midfielder Gregor Adabahia, that's how I pronounce it, whatever, in Brazil. Now, when you look at their most important slash breakout players, your eye has to catch the likes of Blaise Matuidi, a solid midfielder for them, Gonzalo Higuain, who didn't have the best of 2020, but so hopefully, I mean, he can bounce back. Like That's the hope for them. But you also have to look at some players that were very hyped for them, but didn't actually pan out that well. Rodolfo Pizarro, attacking midfielder, like Higuain, didn't have the best of a 2020 season, but I think he's going to play up to his potential and bag some goals and assists. Their major areas of concern is that defense. They did a lot of work getting some veterans who might be on the older side, but let's face it, they are old. Leardham, Shawcross, Gibbs, Breck, Shea, all of them are over 30. Jovan Jones, another new signing, is 29. Are they really who you want to lean on, even if they're just going to be on the bench? I think they'll be okay, but it does raise questions whether or not that defense can be up to speed. And can Phil Neville get the most out of both the South American players that they've built around and the new veteran players he's bringing in from England? And so when you look at what would make them successful, when they have such a disjointed team, a lot of questions, I think success for them is playoffs in a meaningful sense. Yes, they made preliminary rounds of playoffs, but they har that hardly counts. Make the playoffs this season, and you can prove that you are for real. You are a team that can compete in this league. Do I think that's going to happen? No, I'll be honest, I have them second to last, because I think that the disconnect between the different players, it's just a little disjointed right now. Give them a season, or maybe even 75% of the season, I think they figure it out, but until then, I don't think Phil Neville can do it. Jack, are you an Inter-Miami stan? What do you think? No, I have him last. I, I, last. I'm going to be honest. I have him last. All right, cool. We're, uh, we're on the same page. Yeah, but I, I agree. I'm skeptical about Phil Neville. I don't think he's the right fit for Inter-Miami. I, I don't think he's the right fit for MLS. His, the last team he managed was the England women's national team, if I'm remembering correctly, which, you know, national team management is a lot different than, uh, you know, management in a league uh and their acquisitions just don't excite me at all i know they're like ah we brought in all this european talent but ryan shawcross and <laughs> gibbs those aren't exciting names and they're not there's a reason why they're playing for relegation threatened clubs in the premier league at least kieran gibbs was and like they're they're old they're that's not the way to move forward in mls they moved away from picking mls veterans in favor of European talents on the verge of retirement. And I don't think it's going to pay off for them. And, you know, Gonzalo Higuain, he could do well, but he was god-awful last season. Uh, he, he just didn't contribute. Uh, and Pizarro, he could create, but again, I'm not sure if Neville's the right fit to get the best out of him. So ultimately, yeah, I, I think they're going to be wooden spoon this year. I, I honestly think so. Wow, that's, that's going to be crazy if they actually make the playoffs i, I know the egg on our face yeah exactly but let's go on to one of their expansion team brothers nashville sc who did make the playoffs made a pretty good run jack i'm guessing you have them a little bit higher what do you make of nashville yeah well they were the surprise of the 2020 season at least for for me and i'm sure for many others yeah. uh, the expansion side had a solid seventh place finish and which was surprising to almost everyone because most people thought Miami would be better than Nashville, but 
Mm-hmm. It, that clearly was not the case. They had the third best defensive record in the East, less than one goal conceded per game. They also made a run to the Eastern Conference semifinals, losing to the eventual winners. Overall, their season was built on defensive solidity, and it shows what an organized defense can do for an expansion side. And so for major player acquisitions or sales, they kept the core of their team, although they did send out David Akam on loan. Uh, their acquisitions were very good, though. Uh, their, their big problem last season was scoring goals, and they seem intent on fixing it, with Rodrigo Pinero and MLS veteran CJ Sapon both coming in. They went out and got goal scorers, which will be helpful for them. Their most important players this upcoming season, you know, reigning defend, defender of the year, Walker Zimmerman, is going to be one of the most important players for Nashville, which should go without say, saying. Plus, Joe Willis and goal could produce another pretty decent season after leading the league in shutouts in 2020. Of course, Dax McCarty will be one to watch, but the two biggest, in my opinion, are Haney Mukhtar and Randall Leal, who had the joint most assists for the team at four each and contributed four and three goals, respectively. If they can get better numbers, Nashville are a team to watch out for. But uh, their major areas of concern for me, a similar story as last season, they don't really have depth. Uh, and especially at fullback. Their attacking signings are promising, but what happens if they don't fire like Nashville want them to? Where do the goals come from then? Because they didn't come from any of the players last season. Yeah, yeah I, that, that's, the, that's the major area of concern, that depth. And then what would make this 2021 successful? A second consecutive playoff appearance would certainly be a success. But I think, given their struggles up top, getting a center forward that has a double-digit season would be a big improvement regardless of overall standings. In terms of predictions for standings, I think Nashville is one of the more solid teams in the East. Like, uh, they're, they're new, but I, I don't know how the playoffs will work this time around, but I think 8th is good enough to get there, and that's where I have them. I have them in the second tier, could drift into the third tier. They're on the very edge for me, but that's just where I have Nashville finishing. I, I like them quite a bit. I, I love it. I love how how excited you are to put them that high because because i have them at sixth actually not to okay okay I was, you or anything i was surprised i'm surprised i thought you would have them in third tier or something third tier no i i was really impressed with nashville last year i think when minnesota united tied with them like zero zero people were like oh what the heck how come we, we lost we almost lost to this uh this national side it's in their inaugural season they're, they're an expansion team but they're a very quietly good team and they're even quiet with their transfers. They make good, non-flashy moves that raise their floor and add some difference makers like Panero to raise their ceiling. My question for you, Jack, because you did a lot of research on them. Can their strong core of Zimmerman, McCarty, Leal, Willis, Lovitz, Romney, can they repeat what they did last season? Is that a repeatable... Uh, event where they play very strongly they have a good defensive structure is that something that was just a product of them being in their expansion season and wanting to be very defensive or is that something that you think that they can carry on as part of their identity going into their second year i think it's something they can carry on with just because like you know the the fact that they didn't bring in any new defenders is a clear statement of intent to me that you know, right. we want to stick with this core because they were successful. And, you know, Walker Zimmerman just had the best season of his career, arguably, I would say. Like, yeah. he, he was incredible. Uh, and I think that 
that is what they're going to build around. And that's why they brought in the goal scores. So I think that it's going to be a part of their identity to kind of like go out and play with that defensive solidity. But then, you know, the just try and strike maybe a bit more on the counter. They have some faster players who can get up there and do it. So I, I think that they're going to continue on with it. All right. Another team that might continue their form from last year are the New England Revolution up in Massachusetts. Uh, their 2020 in review, they had a pretty decent 2020. They got eighth, but showed up really, really well in the playoffs, getting to the conference finals. One goal away from the MLS Cup final. Very unfortunate for them. They, were, they got eighth, but they were level on points with both Nashville and the New York Red Bulls. And they're also missing their best player, which I will get to for a majority of the season. Their new acquisition slash major sales, Bruce Arena, one of the best coaches in MLS history, has done a pretty good job managing the team and has brought in some help in the form of some mid-level free agents, Emmanuel Boateng, striker originally from Columbus, AJ De La Garza, defender, uh, was released from Inter Miami. Big signing, I suppose, was Christian Mafala, 28-year-old left back from Colombian team Atletico Nacional, and Icelandic left winger slash left back Arnur Inevi Trestesen. And these transfers out also include Lee Wynn, Kellen Rowe, and Diego Fagundes. Not so much inspiring in terms of both transfers in, transfers out, but they kept a lot of their core, including their most important player, Carlos Heel. Obviously, he's their best player. He's, the, the Spaniard is amazing. He missed a lot of time last season due to injury, but when he came back, he tore it up, scoring two goals in the playoffs and getting three assists in their, what, three, four-game run. If he can find his level, MLS is going to get rocked. We also have Adam Buxa, Buxa, their DP striker. He didn't do great last year, getting only six goals but he can be a breakout star for them if he reaches his potential in his first quote-unquote normal season. We also have young players in Tajan Buchanan and Henry Kessler. They both played well in the Olympic qualifying tournament, and they may be turned to more often than not. I feel like the most likely of those two is going to be Kessler. And of course, we can't talk about New England Revolution without one of, if not the best goalkeeper in the entire league, Matt Turner. An amazing shot stopper. Major areas of concern is depth and center back. I mean, they just have Kessler and Fail right now as like their main starting caliber center backs. But other than that, there's not much here that's keeping them back. A large reason why they didn't do so well last season was because they were missing Carlos Heel. Like that's the only real reason why I think they really struggled. And even then, to get to playoffs last year, I mean, not too bad. What would make their 2021 successful? A home playoff game. Getting top four, making another deep playoff run, building off how they did last season, and really really getting the most out of their DPs that they currently have would make this successful. I have them as a pretty strong, on the edge of the first and second tier, fifth place. I think they can do it. Jack, you gave me a face there when I said that they're gonna their second tier, fifth place. Do you have them higher? Do you have them lower? I, I'm kind of I'm kind of concerned. Oh, I I have them in the second tier. I I just have them a little bit lower than you. I have them at seventh. Okay. And, you know the big questions for this team are. Uh, I wrote this in my notes. Why is there no defensive depth in any team? Dear God, get some help. <laughs> uh, That's MLS for you. Yeah, there's no defensive depth. I don't understand why there's just an 
like an adverse reaction, an allergic reaction to defend uh, to defenders, but that appears to be the case. Uh, and last season, you know, like you mentioned, uh, Carlos K- uh, Hill, when either Gustavo Bo or Hill weren't in the team, they this team is not very good. <laughs> that, that that's just like it. They they can be good, but they're just not up to par. So if one of them misses like a few games here and there. How is this team going to react? Because this team very much relies on those two players. And I think because of that, that's what held me back from putting them up higher, just because of that over-reliance on players. Uh, but, you know, I, I think they, they can get a solid enough finish. Seventh place overall. They should get playoffs and okay. have a deep run, I think, as well, uh, building off that success from last year. All right. Well, now let's move on to the city that never sleeps. Is that New York? I don't know. I think I think so. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so well, yeah, we have we have two New York teams: NYCFC, New York Red Bulls. Jack, start us off with the the, the Man City Lights, I suppose. NYCFC. Yeah. So uh, for NYCFC, their CCL can, campaign uh, in the twenty twenty season it didn't go the way they would have hoped. Uh, but they did solidly enough in the East, finishing fifth with 39 points, seven points above sixth, and two behind fourth. While they might not have been the best team in the pool, they were definitely in the sort of upper tier of Eastern Conference teams. However, they got bounced from the playoffs by Orlando City on a wild penalty shootout, uh, which ended their season on a sour note. But major player acquisitions and sales... For a club with such a big name behind it, in that the same group owns Man City, the, their transfers have been kind of boring. They brought in Danish defender Malte Amundsen and left-back Chris Gloucester from PSV, but besides that, that's about it. They, they didn't bring in too many other players. They did lose Alex Rain, their captain, mm-hmm. went down to Austin FC. Defender Joe Scully went to Mönchengladbach, and defender Ronald uh, Matarita went to FC Cincinnati. So they did lose some solid players, and they haven't really brought in many players to replace them. Uh, as far as most important pl- uh, players, there, uh, you know, Sean Johnson, he's a solid goalkeeper. He'll be important for New York City FC. And Tanner Tannerholm, very solid defender. And I don't think I'm missing anyone else in there. Um, right, AJ? No, no one else missing. Um, oh, wait. Uh, oh, wait. Uh, you're, hold on. Might be one. Uh, the 34-year-old NYCFC have been relying on for quite a while now. <laughs> Maxi Morales. I was going to mention him. Yeah, this team basically survives off of his contributions. If he has yeah. a cold streak, so does the team. It's as simple as that. Uh, Maxi Morales is is going to be the most important player for this team, as he has been since he joined them, it seems. Uh, but major areas of concern, they have two unfilled DP slots and a lot of cash. Uh, how they fill those slots is going to be a big question for them. They need smart investment, same as what City uh, have done in the Premier League. And they also need to do something so they don't rely on a 34-year-old attacking mid mm-hmm. all the time. They need depth as well with all of the competitions they could be playing in. So uh, those DP slots are a big major area of concern, honestly. And again, defensive depth, defensive depth, defensive depth. But what would make their 2021 successful? They need to make the playoffs again and ideally finish in the top four. If not, it's hard to see how this isn't really a failure of a season for NYCFC. They also need to figure out how to not get bounced in the playoffs again because they seem mm-hmm. to have that happen every time. Otherwise, 
they're just Man City again. How they always get bounced in the Champions Yikes. League. Uh, but honestly, I, I think NYCFC could do it. I, I have them on the verge of the first and, and fourth and not first and fourth, first and second tier. Uh, between fourth and fifth, I, I originally had them fifth. I, I could see them going as, as high as fourth. I'll put them fifth, though. I, they're competing in a lot of competitions, and as their head coach even admitted, they don't have a deep squad. Let's scratch. I, I think they could make fourth just based off the other okay. team. I, I'm so, this is the, one of the teams that was the hardest to rank, honestly, because I, they're so close to either of those tiers. I'm going to have to agree. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they're competing in the League's Cup as well. Right, okay. exactly. That, that does put a wrinkle into even my prediction. But I just got to say, like, City Football Group, come get your boy. How can you <laughs> leave this poor, poor team in the dust? You, you mentioned it, like two designated player uh, spots. You're, you're literally a, a feeder club for, for Man City. Like, you have to put in some investment, and it's just not happening. I don't believe in NYCFC at all. I think they have a, one of the strongest midfields of in the league. Parks, Sands, Morales, really good. But we, you mentioned I, I'm not really convinced about the front three. Not really convinced about uh, the back four other than maybe Chano and Tinner home and Johnson's pretty good. But everything else, including their depth, eighth place for me. Eighth place. That's honestly fair, yeah. Succinctly in, in the second tier. That's not how you use succinctly, but very much in that second tier. Solidly in it, yeah. Jack, real quick, of these three things I'm going to list, what is the number one thing that's going to hold them back? Is it... In your mind, A, the fact that Morales is so old and that relying on him is going to hurt them. Two, uh, getting rid of their longtime captain, Alexander Ring. Or three, having to play in Red Bull Arena for a large part of the season. Like, what is the hardest thing that they're going to have to deal with? I've got to say the hardest thing is losing Alex Ring. That, that's okay. got to be it. Because, you know, they... They need leadership in this team. They they have good players, but if they don't have someone who can bring it all together, then it falls apart. Obviously, that's that's the converse of bringing everything together. So, uh, you know, uh, that. But I I think you know Maxi Morales always seems to be, have a solid season. So I I don't think he's a ma- he's as big of a liability. But it's got to be losing Alex Ring for me. All right. As I alluded to, they are going to be sharing the field with New York Red Bulls in Red Bull Arena for a good amount of the the season. And with that, Jack, why don't you talk about those Red Bulls? How are they doing? Yeah. Uh, so the New Jersey Red Bulls. Uh, right. I'm kidding. Yes. I'm yes. Kidding. Uh, the, their 2020 season, uh, they did just enough to get into the playoffs. Despite selling two of their best players and most iconic players, arguably, Bradley Wright Phillips and Luis Robles. I think, actually, they both left on pre-agent deals. Uh, but in, uh, regardless, they finished sixth in the East, just above Nashville SC on total wins. However, the Red Bulls need to do a lot more this upcoming season. They lost their head coach, Chris Armas, and their new head coach, Gerhard Struber, oversaw his first game was a loss to the Columbus crew in the playoffs. Uh which is a rough way to start. Yeah. Uh, but major player acquisitions and sales. They've done really well in acquisitions, signing several players on loan, including left back Andrew Gut- uh, Gutman Gutman sure. from Atlanta United and right back Tom Edwards from Stoke City. 
Perhaps the biggest and also one of the few permanent signings by uh, the Red Bulls is central defender Andres Reyes from Atletico Nacional. Plus, you've got another interesting acquisition in Cameron Harper from Celtic of the, uh, of the Scottish League. And you've also got two players from RB Salzburg in on loan, Carlos Kernel, Kernel? Yeah. and uh, Yuba Diara. There were a few departures, such as midfielders Chris Lema and Ben Mines, who both had options declined, and defender Tim Parker was signed by the Dynamo. Uh, as, uh, as far as like most important players, given that Struber played a high-press system while coaching Barnsley, I think the defense is going to be very crucial for this team, uh, because he expects pressing to come from everywhere. Namely, uh, you know, the, someone that we, that we know well, Aaron Lawn. Uh, and mm-hmm. nude signing Andres Reyes. If they don't click, then this team likely won't either. Uh, major areas of concern. The biggest thing is that, given that there's been so much change in this roster over the past two years, how will the team adapt to those changes? And how will Gerhard Struber adapt to the MLS? Because his first game was a trial by like fire against the eventual champions. But how will he do in the league? And will he be able to implement his system in it? Uh, and have the Red Bulls play it well. Uh, what what would make their 2021 successful? I'd say just making the playoffs would be a success for them once again. They're, they're rebuilding for the second season in a row. Uh, just given all these shakeups and the time required for signings to adapt and gel together, just making it to the postseason will likely be seen as a success. And I, I think... This was another tough team. The New York teams were just tough for me to rank because they're both between tiers for me. I I had them between tier two and three. I ultimately put them more in three uh, just because of rebuilding. Uh, I think it works too far, too much against them. I have them finishing ninth this time around. Let's go. I also had them as ninth. Wow. Okay. There we go. We just like connected brains right there. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they brought in some good players, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of disconnectedness within their roster within the upper management of red bull there just seems to be not enough just like city football group they're not enough investment out of the red bull group and so i don't think the red bulls have the pieces it takes to make a good run in the playoffs to make a good run up the table in the league i don't i have nothing else to say about them other than their ninth yeah, it always feels like they're rebuilding. Always I don't know. feels like it. I don't know why. Well, I do know why. It's because Red Bull won't give them any money. Let's go on to a team that uh, d- did have a little bit of money, at least last year. And now if they sell one of their best players this upcoming summer, they might have even more money. It's Orlando City SC. They're 2020 in review. Well, Orlando had a great first season under Oscar Perea, getting fourth in the East. It was their first time ever ever getting to their playoffs and Perea made it seem as if they only used a fraction of their total potential new acquisitions and major sales a lot of their transfers in were turning loans into permanent transfers in like Rodrigo Schlegel Andres Perea and they brought in 31 year old Alexander Pato from Sao Paulo and also another permanent transfer Sylvester van der Water 24 year old Dutch winger but they also shipped a good amount of pieces out, namely in their attack, their strikers, Dom Dwyer, former DP, and Daryl DK, who is only on loan to Barnsley, but we don't know if he'll be coming back. We had rumors uh, circulating this week, including today, that he might be going to Everton, so he might be out. Their most important slash breakout players, 
obviously you got to talk about Pato because they need a consistent goal scoring threat in the absence of Don Dwyer and Daryl DK. Chris Mueller is poised to have another great season. I think this is season, what, four or five for him. I think he's going to have another amazing season. Nani, left winger, always, always going to be very important for them. He got them nine goals and five assists as that creative left wing output. I'd also say Joao Moutinho, not that one, but the other one. Yes, he wasn't amazing at LAFC, but he's only a 23-year-old. He's a Portuguese left back who has the technical skills to be among the best in the league. I believe he got injured, and he's still injured uh, going into this season. But last season, I saw, I saw glimpses of what he can be. And if he can stay healthy, he can be a very good breakout star for them. Major areas of concern, I don't know if you really want to rely on Pato and Nani for goals and creativity when they're getting up there in age. Pato especially is not a long-term solution to your number nine. You gotta find a DK replacement. Other than that, they're a really good team. Oscar Perea knows how to lead this team. He knows how to get good talent. What would make their 2021 successful? A home playoff game. And honestly, what Eastern Conference Final. Maybe even MLS Cup. They're up there along with uh, Columbus and Atlanta, but now they've laid the groundwork. So they got to take the, the steps up into the next echelon of MLS teams. That's why I put them in the first tier, second place. That's right. The South is taking over the Eastern Conference. Atlanta I had first, second is Orlando. I just, I rate them so much. Jack, you smiled. Am I speaking cap right now? Tell me. I I have them in second place as well. Let's go, actually. Let's go. I think Orlando have actually found the solution after, you know, what seems like half a decade in middling mediocrity to just terribleness. uh, They they found a solution and it worked really well for them. They not only did they make uh, they make it to the playoffs, but they also uh, were in the final of the MLS's back tournament, which is which was a pretty good thing for them, even though it came at the expense of us in Minnesota United. Yeah, whatever. Uh, but I guess the big questions for Orlando are, how will uh, Alex Pato adapt to this league? Because it it's way different. Uh, I know I know like a lot of European players end up coming to the league with the expectation of it being like a cakewalk or something, but that nope. never really ends up being the case. So. Uh, how will he adapt? Will he be able to chip in goals? Uh, and then will Orlando be able to succeed without DK, whether that's for the first half of the season or, you know, for the uh, for, for the rest of the season, depending on yeah. if he does end up leaving? Uh, I think that he's a really special player, and he was last season. And, uh, you know, or, Orlando, it, it, I, I think Alex Pato could do it, but I'm not quite sure. If uh, if he'll be able to, if he doesn't catch fire, they could be in some trouble. I, I do think Orlando could uh, should get a playoff game, not just could should All right, should cool. get a home playoff game. Nice. Nice. Well, let's move on to another team that found a system that works and ran with it. This is Philadelphia Union, the former, or I guess the, the current holders of the supporter shield. Uh, Jack, do you think they're going to repeat? Let us know. Well, their 2020 season review, uh, it was a successful one with a yeah. disappointing conclusion. Yeah. Uh, after finishing top of the East with 47 points and top of the league, they lifted the supporters' shield 
which was really just a Captain America shield <laughs> that was painted uh, after an impressive 2020, but got knocked out in round one of the playoffs when they arguably should have won the whole thing. They had some breakout performers as well with best XI performances, best 11. I don't know why I say XI of <laughs> Mark McKenzie, Brendan Aronson, and of course, Andre Blake. Uh, they scored the most goals in the East with 44 and had the tightest defense, only letting in 20, thanks to that goalkeeper of the year, Andre Blake, getting eight shutouts. Of course, all three of these players, uh, you know, deserve that position. And just in short, solid yet disappointing. But major player acquisitions or sales, it's a lot heavier on the sales side. Uh, they They sold their two best performers, arguably, Brendan Aronson went to RB Salzburg in the Austrian Bundesliga, and Mark McKenzie went to Genk. Genk? I, I'm, I'm mispronouncing all of these names. <laughs> uh, at the same time, they brought in a 25-year-old defender, Stuart Finlay, from Kilmarnock in the Scottish League. Uh, but So they did find a replacement for McKenzie, but they don't have one for Aronson. And uh, as far as most important players... Andre Blake is probably going to be their most important player going into this season. If he's at the same level as last season, the Union are going to be strong at the back. Other than that, Kasper Shizbilko uh, will be a solid player as well, as usual. I, I also think that Kai Wagner is going to be very important for the Union, especially if their defense is going to be anywhere near the same level as it was last year. The major area of concern, and the only real area of concern I can see for the Union, is that they haven't brought in anyone to replace Brendan Aronson. He was a really good creative player, and they've got players who can play in that creative 10 role, but none looked as convincing as Aronson did last season. Bedoya can do it, but there's, uh, but there's not a ton of depth there. Uh, they also need to develop as a team. That's how they thrive. And since their preseason performances haven't been all that impressive, despite a nice Paxton Aronson solo goal, uh, given the big names that left, they need to gel a bit more. Uh, but what would make their 2021 successful? I think it would be good if they can build off the successes of last season and this time around make it past round one of the playoffs. It doesn't have to be a, an Eastern Conference final, but just make a stronger playoff run. They need to show they deserve to be a, a lawn the upper echelon of the Eastern Conference. Uh, and and even though it's their, only their first season in the CCL, I'd imagine success for the Union includes advancing at least past Deportivo Saprissa in the CCL. Uh, Stanton's prediction, this one was tough as well, and I think I, I'm going to be very different from you given our Twitter post uh, and <laughs> a lot different from a lot of other people. I think they're going to do decently well this season because... The team last season was truly something special. I don't think they'll get into that upper tier. I think they could. I'm. I have them as fifth overall, fifth to fourth. They okay. they kind of trade off between NYCFC for me. Uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say they're between the first and second tier. So that that's probably a bit controversial given what I've heard on Twitter, but I I think they can do it. They have two big Aronson slash McKenzie shaped holes to fill as well as a Gaddis-shaped hole, Gaddis being their starting right back who retired this offseason. Right. Those are hard holes to replace. And I don't know if they did a good enough job doing that. I, I thought you'd mention all of the homegrowns that they brought in, including Paxton Aronson. Right. I think their only transfers in, other than that one guy you mentioned, their defender, was just like a bunch of 
17, 16, 18 year olds. They're, they're really saying trust the process with bringing in yeah. even more homegrowns. That's that's tough. I don't really have a question other than. Do you think those homegrowns can replace Aronson? You mentioned a McKenzie uh, replacement. Do you think Aronson? You think we can trade an Aronson for an Aronson? Paxton Aronson just uh, like for like replaces his brother. It'll it'll take some time. I don't think this right. season will be like on the same level as Brendan Aronson, but I think he could have a solid season that that could be something to build on. But the big thing for the Union that I think is what made me put them higher up than a lot of other people rate them is because this is one of the few teams that feels like it operates as a unit together. Like every uh-huh. every other team feels like it has like some very huge standout players that are going to provide a ton for the team. But this one, the Philadelphia Union are at their best when they play as a strong unit together. And ultimately, if they can do that, I think they'll do well. All right, cool. Well, I don't believe that. I, I do believe that they work well as a unit. I just don't think you can... You, you cannot replace the, the two biggest pieces that made your team work. And that's fair. At the same time, not upgrade at all. Because even with these other teams uh, that are, you know, still going to be okay, they're still bringing in new players. They're always raising the level of the league. If you're not raising the level of your team, you're not going to catch up to the other teams that are rivaling you for a playoff spot. And so I think. Philadelphia might be shooting themselves in the foot as of this season by bringing in a bunch of homegrowns and not investing more heavily in the first team. But I still think they have enough to barely make it into the playoffs. I know I said they might be uh, out of the playoffs. I said seventh place in that second tier, very, very close to uh, not making it. I, I, I kind of traded them with NYCFC between those two spots. We'll see how that goes. But our final team... When we look at this alphabetically, I don't think they're going to be last by any means. This Toronto FC, not of Toronto this this season. Uh, they played in Hartford last season. Now they're going to be down in Tampa slash Orlando. Looking back to last season, Toronto FC managed to get second place despite not actually playing in Toronto. Instead, playing in Hartford, Connecticut. Despite a strong regular season, they crashed out in the first round of the playoffs to Nashville SC. And they brought in... Some, you know, pretty, pretty interesting players. And that is very little, actually. They they didn't bring in a, a lot. Greg Vanny left. I guess there's the most notable uh, departure. And their most notable uh, acquisition was Chris Armis, who was previously of the New York Red Bulls. He kind of struggled there. But admittedly, you have to say that he brings some endless experience to the league's most spendiest sides. And like I said before, like I alluded to, they brought in nobody of note. They have reportedly made a commitment to playing the youth while getting a designated player later in the year. You have to really think about COVID financials. They had to play away from home the entirety of the year, like rent out an entire hotel for the entirety of the year. That couldn't have helped. But for the most part, they're kind of going into the season with mostly the same core of players that they had before. So when we talk about most important slash breakout players, it's their core. Pozuelo, the reigning MVP, obviously a very good number 10, as well as veterans, Michael Bradley, Josie Altador, Nick DeLeon, Mavinga, Justin Morrow. And for breakout star, I'd say Ayo Akinola is going to have a breakout season. I know he did really well last season. I know he scored nine goals. You know, that's 
crazy. But Altador is going to be on the outside looking in if the 21-year-old American slash Canadian can make a stamp. I think he will. I think he's going to usurp the, the former uh, USMNT striker for that role. The major areas of concern, there's a good amount that are kind of minor in my opinion, but they still need to be addressed. How will the youth you focus on play? You say you want to focus on the youth. Can you really depend on them? How will another season playing away from Toronto hurt the squad? It's obviously going to be hard to be away from home again. With no real enforcements, how do you handle the CCL? Because they are going to be in CCL. My bet is, is that they don't focus on it all. And four, can Armas plug in a pressing style with Toronto after Greg Vanny was there for a very, very long time? What would make the 2021 successful? With all that being said, I still think they're going to do very well, just not as well as they did last season and seasons before. I'm going to say probably top four with a deep playoff run, maybe making it to the conference finals. But they have a team where I, I can very much say that this, they can be easily upset. This might be their last chance as like a core to win another MLS Cup. A lot of them are getting old. They're either on the wrong side of 30 or approaching there. This might be their last chance before they need to start rebuilding again. I have them as third place. Really, really solid, all things being considered. But I don't think that they're going to have the longevity to make it into the playoffs. Jack, how do you rate the Toronto team? Wow. You rate them a lot higher than I did because I have them in sixth place in the wow. second tier. Wow. Uh, the big thing is, you know, they've had, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, Greg Vanny was at Toronto for quite some time. Yes. And changing a coach with a different style is going to take some getting used to. Uh, and one of the big questions is, can Armas do well in his first season in Toronto? And does he have the players he needs to adopt his system and style of play? Because like you said, there's a lot of aging veterans in the team. And while they can be very good, does the team have enough gas in the engine to make a good run? I'm not so sure. I think they can be held back a little bit because their, their squad is very much on two extremes. You've got folks who are very old veterans of the game and very young just coming up as homegrowns. So I think they're missing a lot of that middle ground, honestly. And because mm -hmm. of that, I think it's going to be a bit of a liability. And ultimately, I, ju I just can't put them into the first tier. Uh, wow. I think, okay. they, I think they could. I, it wouldn't shock me if they do another, an, another run into the top four, honestly. But just, you know, it could also be the fact that I like Montreal way more than Toronto <laughs> talking. But uh I, I just don't, I just I just think they're second tier. They're I think they've kind of while you think that this is their last chance, I think their last chance happened already to to okay. make a really deep run into the MLS Cup. So that that's that's my take on Toronto. I, I think they still have some gas left in the tank, at least one more season, especially when they had Pozuelo who uh, pretty much was carrying them for some parts of the True. season. I also think that, you know, we talked about new manager having to shake up the system how that is i will say greg vanny he resigned he wasn't fired they they were still on the top of their game relatively speaking second right. place last year so it wasn't like this is a this is an fc cincinnati or an inter miami or a, a new york red bulls where they they were kind of in disarray 
the last couple seasons and they needed someone to replace the manager. So I I stand firm in the fact that Toronto FC, they might not be third, they might be fourth or fifth, but I still stand with the fact that they're going to be up there in the first or very top of the second tier. And with that, Jack, we had a very long episode. I kind of enjoyed this, though. I know the Western Conference preview next week is going to be even longer given the teams that are in there. But for everyone listening, why don't you go through your final table, if you have that, or your tier list, uh, w- ranking these different Eastern Conference teams. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay. So uh, first, I have the Columbus Crew. Second, I have Orlando City. Third, I have Atlanta. And then fourth I and fifth can be interchangeable, I think, for me. New York City FC and the Philadelphia Union. I have NYCFC above Union currently, but could be swapped. Uh, six is Toronto. Seven is the Revolution. Eight is Nashville. Uh, nine is the Red Bulls. Ten is Montreal. Eleven is DC United. Twelve is Chicago. Thirteen is Cincinnati. And fourteen with the Wooden Spoon of the East is Inter Miami. Alrighty, alrighty. Well, I'm going to start from the bottom this time, just to All shake right. things up. 14th place, and this is the bottom tier, like, outside looking in. I got Wooden Spoon winners. I wouldn't be surprised if they win the Wooden Spoon for the entire league. Chicago Fire. 13th place, Inter-Miami. 12th place, uh, Club de Foot Montreal. Moving into the on-the-bubble, so they might make the playoffs if, if things go well for them. FC Cincinnati, 11th place. 10th place, DC United. New York Red Bulls is 9th. They're kind of in the Tier 2, Tier 3. Uh, tier two being you know playoff contenders like actual playoff contenders so th- so they're in that little kind of bubble in that area eighth place is nycfc seventh is philadelphia union sixth is nashville sc fifth place is and this is kind of again on the edge like new york i have new england revolution as fifth they could be number uh tier one eastern conference front runners but i have them as playoff contenders right now uh, fourth place in the front runner section, Columbus Crew. Third place, Toronto FC. Second place, Orlando City SC. First place, my favorite team, Atlanta United. Well, Jack, with that, do you have anything to say to our listeners who listen to this long of a podcast? Yeah, well, as always, uh, make sure to follow our Twitter and Instagram at Final Third Show. Uh, we're going to be posting some stuff in the lead up to the Western Conference preview. Hopefully a little bit more than uh, we did with the Eastern Conference preview, but uh, we'd love to get some opinions on that as well. Uh, and also, um, I feel like I said this on Monday, but just in case I didn't, uh, thank you for 500 downloads in total. Yes. Uh, that's awesome. It's been less than three months we've been doing this, but we, we so appreciate all the support that we've gotten so far. It's been great. And, uh, you know... Uh, make sure to leave us a rating on your podcast app of choice. But that's what I that's what I've got to say about that. Yep. And in addition to that, go give us a rating on whatever podcast platform you listen to. Go tell your friend because that's really important to grow this podcast. And as always, don't forget to tell your dad about the podcast as well. I'm sure he'd love to hear this episode of the Eastern Conference final. And with that, that is our deep dive episode for today check us out next monday for the news and prediction episode and same time same place for next week's deep dive episode the western conference preview 
See ya. Bye for now. <laughs>